Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 185 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Wisdom Beyond, an interview with Cole Elbel. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, one of the upsides and downsides to Lyme disease is that childhood onset Lyme disease forces you to grow up very early. And this is a young man who took this early growth and has turned it into wisdom beyond his years. Rich, Cole taught us so much. In fact, I have a paper in front of me filled with notes. He taught us that we need to reflect inwards and look at ourselves to identify what we need to heal. And he even talked to us about a protocol that he took that got him into remission, which is a first on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Matt, I'm really excited to introduce this very wise young man to the Tick Bootcamp community. I think everyone's going to be shocked that he's only 25 years old. So without further ado, wisdom beyond his years with Cole Elbel. Hey, Cole, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. We're really excited to have you, Cole. And um, you know, just so we can give our audience a context, can you share with uh, our folks uh, where you're calling in from? Yeah, so I'm calling in from Chicago, Illinois, and I am loving Chicago summer. It's about time it warms up. So uh, are you a native of Chicago or uh, are you a recent uh, immigrant to that community? So neither, actually. I grew up in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, first 19 years of my life were South Central PA, and then I moved to Chicago in 2015, so I've been there for six years. Um, it's been a blast. I love that city. So what uh, drew you to uh, the Windy City? So the Windy City, I, I was drawn there because of school. I actually went to Bible College, a place called Moody Bible Institute, and um, yeah, in my small town that I grew up in, it was, it's very conservative Christian, and I just surrounded by church, surrounded by a lot of religious um, lifestyle. And a lot of people shared with me, like, you would probably be a really talented pastor. You should go to Moody. And I got accepted at Moody and I went and fell in love with the city. So yeah, that's what, that's what brought me over. So uh, Moody College uh, caused you to fall in love with the city and you've uh, never left. That's right. So let's go back to your time as um, as a child growing up in Pennsylvania. What was that uh, experience like? So, oh, I had a fantastic childhood. Um, always in the woods. There, there it is. I was like our house is nestled right along a tree line, and there's a creek like 150 yards from our house. And so we would, my sister and I would always go into the woods and build forts and run around and I'd take my slingshot and try to shoot trees and birds and, and bottles and stuff like that. And we'd go cray fishing in the creek and riding dirt bikes and hiking and camping. It was, it was a lot of outdoorsy, a lot of independence. Uh, it was a really fun upbringing. And um, yeah, it was a so common for mom to yell out the kitchen window for us. And we couldn't even hear her because we were so far from the house in the woods. So your childhood was, um, was, was one where you were living in a house that was encroaching on nature. Is that a fair description? Completely fair. That's correct. So let's talk about what it was like for you during your childhood where you were spending time in a house that was encroaching on nature and you were, you were spending a lot of your recreational time in nature. Um, were you given any information either through your school education or through your social education from your parents or other people in your community about ticks and Lyme disease? 
Yes. So the first time I heard about Lyme disease was actually kindergarten. When and that was two that was the year like 2000 and 2001, like right in there. Um, you're making me feel old, Cole. There you go. There you go. So yeah, 20, 21 years ago. Um, a buddy of mine, his mom was really sick for some reason. And she had gained a lot of weight and she couldn't walk and she felt really weak. And I like I remember um there was like a, you, you could eat lunch with your parents. Like your parents came to school and you ate lunch together. And I was in kindergarten. My mom and dad were eating with me. And then I saw my buddy's mom and she came in in an electric wheelchair. And like, as a kid, I was like, oh my, that's a big deal. Like what's going on? And um, my mom was talking with her and she brought up like, yeah, I, I have Lyme. And it attacked her thyroid. And she was dealing with migraines, joint pain, fatigue, all that stuff. And so it was my buddy's mom that was like, please check your children for ticks. Please, like, this is something you do not want your kids to deal with. This is horrible because it's taking away my children's childhood. They have to take care of me. They have to worry about me and look after me. And I, it kind of scared me. And so at, at that point, I realized like, okay, always check no matter what, always check for ticks, always be sure. And like, even if there is something attached, like we're going straight to the doctor to get this figured out. So you're now five or six years old and you have this, uh, you have this experience that is something you'll never forget, right? You're, you're, right. you're, you're meeting, you're meeting your friend's mom and she's very, very sick to the point where she can't even walk. Um, right. She also talks to you a little bit about making sure that you check. And what did that mean to you? Meaning you, you now have this moment in your life, this memorable moment in your life where you're now aware of this, of this health challenge. And what does that cause you to do? And what does that cause your parents to do? What it caused me to do, wear pants more, <laughs> because I was always running around out there with basketball shorts or like, you know, the classic cargo shorts that you get from JCPenney. Um, shout out to the Husky section. <laughs> and um, yet then bug spray was really it. Those were the only things like pants and bug spray was the one precaution that I took. So Cole, when, when you say bug spray, were you putting on bug spray every single day when you went out to, you know, play in your yard or was bug spray just a part of a limited part of your experience when growing up in rural Pennsylvania? It was limited. It was very limited. We would emphasize bug spray if we were going camping. But if we were going out, I mean, the woods are like 30 feet from my house. So like just put on pants and long sleeves and then come back and like double check. That was the precaution. But if we were going camping, if we were in the deep wilderness, because we have uh, farmland in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Um, so that's like central Pennsylvania. We've had land in our family and we have a cabin there. Uh, we would definitely focus more on that because we were in tents and we were on the dirt bikes and hiking a lot more. And so, yeah. So now Cole, did you receive any other education other than that limited awareness that you had from 
uh, meeting your friend's mom who was wheelchair bound? There was one more time when I was in seventh grade. I found a tick on the back of my neck and it was attached and it was red. Like the area was red and hurt. It was like sore. And I realized that it was there for a while and it was from mowing my neighbor's lawn, an older lady. She's since passed away, but I used to mow her lawn every week. And um, so found that attached. We went to the doctor and he hooked us up with a, a 10 pill speed pack. And I was like, okay, I got, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like my buddy's mom. I'm going to be okay. But like, I've been bit three times in my life. And I remember the first bite was in my belly button. I was eight years old. And so like, this was a several years after um, my buddy's mom, like after I encountered her. And like, when I found that tick in my belly button, I, I remember vividly like screaming to death. I like, I thought I was going to die because I was like, I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like my buddy's mom. I'm, I'm going to be in a wheelchair. I'm going to be really tired. I'm not going to have a life. And I was so afraid of that because I saw how she was living and I, I felt terrified. Um, but yeah, the, the speed pack was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is the, they got this figured out. All right. We're good to go. You know, but I, I was very deeply ignorant of that. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So you're, you're living in Pennsylvania and, and if our listeners are not aware, Pennsylvania actually has the highest rate of Lyme disease, at least currently of any state in the country. That's right. Uh, and, um, and you have people in your community who are so sick from Lyme disease that they've lost the ability to walk. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I'm not hearing from you, but there was a whole lot of education that was provided to you either in your educational experience in school or through any other social channels where, edu- where public, um, you know, health education was available to you. Right. Yeah. It really wasn't, it wasn't a big emphasis on that. They were just like, check spray. You should be fine. If you get bit, we'll get you a speed pack. That's really the extent of it right there. Okay. So now let's talk about whether or not there were any behaviors that you or your family engaged in to protect you from the ticks that you were coming in contact with when you're living in this, you know, in this uh, rural community. Mm. Rich, I'm going to say it, it was my mom. That was really the first line of defense. She was the one that was looking after us in the way of like, before we would go out, like, all right, put your pants on, put your long sleeves on and then spraying us down. And then when we would get back, she would be like, all right, stop, let's go. We're gonna, we gotta have a quick little little check here. And so she would kind of of like uh, monkeys in a tree. She would look through our heads, through our hair, make sure nothing was in our hair. And then all the the warmer areas, like our armpits and the back of of our knees, the back of our necks, um, sometimes in between our toes and fingers too, like we would, we look everywhere, but then like anywhere that was a little bit more personal, that was our responsibility when we took a shower before bed. Okay. So let's pause there. So your mom was your first line of descent, defense and in quite, 
quite frankly, in most cultures, our moms would be our first line of defense. Right, where they would right. be teaching us about how to groom and they would be helping us to, uh, to, uh, to groom us by checking us the way your mom was. Now, was your mom doing that every single day or was she doing that only when you were camping as a family? It wasn't every single day, but it was very often because we were playing outside every day. Like it, when, if there wasn't, yeah, I mean, even in the snow, we would play, but obviously it takes her out about snow, but like anytime outside of winter, my mom was actually very on top of it. Like she would always say like, double check, double check. Let's go. Let's make sure. Like it, I, I remember that, that she was, she was doing her job well. Okay. So your mom, your mom is, is, is to use your term, doing her job well. She's teaching you how to check yourself. She's reminding you to check yourself. She's engaging in, in parenting checking of her children. Um, and on a couple of occasions during your life, you find ticks biting you. You recall at least three separate occasions when you found mm -hmm. ticks that were attached to you, correct? Correct. So you told us about the first one when you were eight years old and what your emotional reaction was to that. Uh, meaning you thought that you were going to find yourself in a wheelchair the way your friend's mom did. What else did you do with that first tick that you had found, you had found biting you on your belly button? And did you find that tick or did your mom find that tick? I found that tick. Um, I was in the shower when I found that tick. And I was like, what the heck is that? It felt like a, like a skin tag or just something. I was like, I've never felt that before. And then I, I just kept like messing with it. It kept messing with my belly button. And then my mom was like, why do you keep digging your belly button? Like, what are you, what's going on? And she looked, she was like, pull up your, pull up your shirt. Let me look. And she found it. I discovered it, but I didn't know what it was. And then she found, she said, oh my, that is a tick and it's attached. We got to get it out. And so she got it out with tweezers and I know that didn't, that she didn't take it out correctly knowing what I know now. Um, so, so let me ask you to pause there for a second, Cole. How did you find the tick? Did you find the tick because you saw it or did you find the tick because you felt it with your fingers? I felt it with my fingers. Yeah. I felt it with my fingers and I, and like, as a kid would do, I just kept fooling with my belly button, like, like trying to get it out. Like, why isn't that coming out? What's going on? And then my mom saw me doing that. And then she was like, let me, let me take a look. Let's see what's going on here. Maybe, I, maybe it's like a rock or something. And uh, yeah, she found it. So. so call after that tick was removed, did your parents take you to the doctor and were there any steps to prophylactically protect your health taken or did you just move on with your life? We just moved on with my life. Okay. Because now, I did didn't, have... I didn't have any symptoms. Okay. And then now let's talk about the second tick bite that you recall. How old were you and how'd you find it? I was in seventh grade. So I was like 12, 11 or 12. I was 12. And I found it. It was the day after I mowed my neighbor's lawn. So that's the experience you shared with us. So you, you were mowing the lawn for your elderly neighbor and you found yep. that on the back of your neck. Yep. I, I just went to casually scratch the back of my neck and I found it. And I was like, oh no, like I knew immediately that's a tick that's a tick. And then how do you know? I, I just, I, I, I felt it's legs, like the little tiny legs moving slow. You know, they're ominous little bastards. 
So um, the, the second experience again, just so that we can we can see a pattern develop. In the second experience, you didn't find this tick by seeing it. You found the tick because you felt it with your fingers, correct? Exactly. And 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 why did you run your fingers across your neck at that time, uh, which caused you to find the tick biting you? Because my neck started. It, it, I I felt a little bit of pain. It was a little sore. And kind of like similar pain to like a splinter or a bug bite uh, i was like what's going on up there and it like the closer i got to the area like the more it hurt and then i felt like the middle of the area and that's like where it was attached now who, who removed that tick from the back of your neck my dad did with a pocket knife okay and uh did did you save the tick no Okay, we burned. We burned it. <laughs> burned the tick. Okay, and now you didn't burn the tick. You didn't burn the tick on um, on your neck. It was burned after the tick was removed from. Yep, because we were we were by a fire. We were by an open fire, like sitting in a fire ring, and uh, yeah, we tossed it in the fire when we okay. got them off. So, so talk to us about how your dad removed that with a pocket knife. Did he put the pocket knife under the tick and put his finger on top of the tick and pull it out with his finger in the pocket knife, or something else? That's exactly how. Just okay. like that. So he, he created he created his own tweezers with the with with his finger in the in the pocket knife. Correct. And when you look at that tick, how big was it? He was pretty big. I would say it's probably the size of oh I'm gonna say he was like half the size of a sunflower seed. Okay. So do you get the sense now thinking back about it, that tick was feeding on you for some time and that it was, oh, that it yeah. was large because it was uh, filled with your blood? Right. I knew it was at least 24 hours that it had been feeding on me. Okay. So now this tick bite experience triggers your parents to do something different, right? They take you to a doctor and they give you, the doctor gives you a course of, um, of medication after mm -hmm the um after the tick bite why why do you think your parents behaved differently during the second tick bite experience than they did during the first because the affected area was red that was yeah it was it was a red area now um now you couldn't see that red area of course now do you, do you believe that you had a bullseye rash there or was it just red from the tick having bitten you in that location or perhaps because because of the way your dad removed it so yeah, we, we checked and checked like as the days went on and I never developed a bullseye nowhere on my body. Um, that you could see, right. You couldn't see the back of your neck. Right. But my mom would, yeah, my mom was checking it out and it was, it was just red, no bullseye. So did you have any, uh, negative impact on your health after, um, either during the course of the time that you were taking the medication that the doctors had given you or after you had finished your, your medication from your second tick bite? Yes. I noticed fatigue. And, but the thing is like, I thought it was normal because I mean, the type of the type of upbringing I'm in is like, all right, let's, let's work hard. Like, even if you feel like crap, you're going to, you got to show up and like, let's go. We, we gotta, we gotta work, you know? Um, like that's why I was mowing the lawn as a kid. That's why I was shoveling snow and like doing, doing all that stuff, working on my grandfather's farm and all of that. 
Um, so I did feel like crap in the sense of like, it just like my body felt heavy and slow. And the, it was like, I, like, I was like just trudging through molasses, you know, it just, it just felt like that as a seventh grader. And for how long did you feel this fatigue? And do you believe that was the onset of what ultimately became your Lyme disease um, diagnosis? It was definitely the onset. I, I felt that the whole way through until senior year of college. And it's specifically, specifically, like I ate like garbage. Okay. Like I ate everything in sight, like being a, like a farm boy that plays football, like, of course. Um, so like any bread, any sugar, any dairy, which was like my diet, um, I always felt heavier and I would look at my classmates and my, my friends and my sister and like my cousins. And I was just like, it just seems like all of you have so much more energy than me. Like, it seems like all of you are just like, you're faster, you're stronger. You're, you're there, there's this, like, but you're eating the same thing that I'm eating. Now, did you make What's the connection between what you were eating and your fatigue? Or did you just think that you were just a, you know, sort of a bigger, slower kid? That's what I thought. I was like, yep, yeah, I'm a bigger, slower kid. Like I said, shout out to the Husky section. Um, I was always the, the chubbier one in our family. Um, and so I was just like, this is just me. This is how I am. And I'm a big I boy. that I'm a big guy Yeah, I am, and I'm okay with that. Okay. So at any time after this second tick bite experience that you had, did you connect your fatigue to um, the tick bite? I mean, were you, were you feeling like this tick bite experience that you had when you were 12 was, was a trigger for this fatigue? Didn't think that at all. It never crossed my mind. Now, talk to us about how this fatigue impacted your life at that time, meaning what were what were you dreaming of becoming? It sounded like you you because you were raised in this Christian culture uh, that you had some inkling that um, that you would um, perhaps pursue pursue that advocation. Um, mm -hmm. Did your fatigue have an impact on what you were dreaming about doing? And did it have an impact on the kinds of things that you you know that you were doing as a child, meaning playing football and doing the other things that you were doing? So I would say the fatigue didn't have an impact on that. Um, I would just deal with it. I would, I would double down and, and deal with it. It didn't really, cause like, yeah, I, I really wanted to do ministry. Like I was going to church things like multiple times a week, like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But then I would go to young life. I would go to, a fellowship of Christian athletes. I would go to like Bible studies on Thursday nights. Um, and then like any other thing that I could, like I, I was very involved in ministry in high school and like in my upbringing. And so I was like, yeah, this is the path I think I'm going to take. This is where we're going to go because I want to leave this world better than I found it in the name of Jesus Christ. So, Cole, you, you had a third tick bite experience during your childhood that you remember as well. Talk to us about when you when you suffered your third tick bite. Yeah, so third one, I was 17. And uh, that one was 
on the back of my right arm, like, like attached right to my tricep. I don't remember where I got it from or like where I was, but I do remember sitting in my living room. Same thing. I felt it. I didn't see it. So I went to like scratch my arm and I knew I was like, this feels just like the one on the back of my neck. This one feels just like the one in my belly button. This is a tick. And then my parents pulled that out with tweezers and a needle because they ripped it out and it's the, its head was still embedded in my arm. So they had to get a needle, dig, dig that out. And that sucked. And after that tick bite, um, did you go back to the doctor and receive another course of medical treatment of some sort? No. Just went on, went on with your day. Just went on because there was no, it wasn't red and I felt the same. I didn't feel any worse. I didn't feel any better. I was like, I think I'm fine. Okay. Now, um, talk to us about how your health, began to decline from this state of fatigue that you seem to constantly have from when you were 12 years old and you were bitten by the tick um, after mowing your neighbor's lawn and the time that you ultimately received your Lyme disease diagnosis. How, how did your health change? And, and how often did you go to see doctors during that window of time when your health was declining? Mm-hmm. So with college, I did my first year, my, I did my freshman year online. So I was still in Pennsylvania at home. And I decided to take the effort that I was putting in the weight room for football. Cause like football was like a one-way ticket to college. Football was like, all right, we're going to get a scholarship and we're going to get our degree. And then we're going to like either study business or go into ministry. Like that's what I was thinking of doing. And um, yeah, it was that freshman year of college, I decided to take a little bit more control of my health. So I lost 45 pounds that year because I was eating healthier, like a lot healthier. I cut out dairy. I really lowered sugar and I like cut out a lot of the bread. And so, and also portion control was like a really big thing too. And I was working out like probably five to six days a week. And so I lost 45 pounds that year and I felt amazing. I was really taking care of myself. And then the reason why I did that is because like, Hey, I'm going to Chicago next year. And like, these are the best days of my life apparently. So I want to look good. I want to look and feel good. So, so you were, you were driven by a desire to make a better appearance or were you driven by a desire to have more energy and to live and feel better than you had for all these years that you had been suffering low fatigue. Yeah. I would say it was 70%. I wanted appearance to be better because I was like, look, I I need to look good. I want to find a girlfriend. Um, But then there was the 30% of me that was like, man, it feels good to feel good. If I feel better than I ever did. Um, So then freshman year lost the 45 pounds And then sophomore year is when I finally got to the city and that was in 2015 and in 2015, 2016, like both of those years, sophomore and junior year of college, I felt great because I was still maintaining my diet. I was still running regularly. I was running between like 25 and 30 miles a week. 
Um, and then senior year is when the spiral happened because I moved off campus and I moved to East Garfield Park. So those of you in Chicago know when I say East Garfield Park, what that means. Um, for a white man moving to East Garfield, that was a, that was a pretty big, big move. Um, wow. It's a very dangerous neighborhood. It's, the, it's like the number two most dangerous neighborhood in Chicago. And I moved there for something called the Urban Cohort Program with school. So I could be a neighbor and learn my community and not save the community, not have a savior complex, but have a posture of learning from my neighbors and developing relationships with people. And it was, it was fantastic on that front, but it was also the beginning of some serious stress because the, my, my fourth day there, I saw a shooting in front of my home. Like I was on my porch and I saw somebody take three to the chest and that scared the daylights out of me. And then on top of that, I was dating somebody that wasn't really a good fit for me. And then on top of that, this was my first apartment. So like I'm working and trying to understand like, okay, this is how bills work. This is how all this, like the balance of life and personal. And I didn't have a car. So I was riding my bike everywhere. So like trying to maintain like the exercise and then school began. And so like throwing in a stressful relationship, a scary neighborhood, senior year of college and providing for myself and making sure my bills were being paid. That was a lot of stress that was on me for how young I was. Okay. And it was, I would say like, Halfway through the summer, I noticed the fatigue was getting worse. I was like, oh, man, I used to feel like this in high school. Like, I, like, I, I, like, like I'm in, like, the best shape of my life. Why do I feel like this? And then it was around October. I noticed it was October 2017. I noticed, like, I was sitting on a couch and... I thought I was completely still, but my girlfriend at the time was like, why are you shaking? And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? And she was like, you're tremoring. Like, what are you, like, are you okay? Like I was tremoring, like I had Parkinson's and I didn't realize it. And then it was like a couple weeks after the tremoring, I had my first nightmare and it was a vivid scary nightmare and then after the nightmares started happening i started having hallucinations during the day of seeing things all the while with like through this whole course of like the nightmares the hallucinations the tremors my fatigue was getting worse i was feeling heavier and heavier and heavier and i started taking more naps uh, and i was calling off work more and i was skipping classes and my grades were dipping because I wasn't showing up and I wasn't completing assignments because I would like, okay, I got an eight page paper due. We got to sit down and focus half a page in, I'd be ready to go take a four hour nap. And so the one time it was Thanksgiving, it was in November 
okay? Thanksgiving. And I was celebrating with my girlfriend's family. And um, they were all going to go play football, like the morning of Thanksgiving. So, like, we went to their house the night before. And they were going to play football at, like, it was, like, 9.30, 10 in the morning. It was going to be, like, a like easy wake-up time. We're not going too early. I slept in until probably, like, 1.00. And my girlfriend was like really sad. She was really sad because she was like, I wanted you to be with the family. I wanted you to enjoy this time with us. And like, you, you weren't there. And that was like a valid thing to be sad about. You know, <laughs> I was sad too. I wanted to play like football's fun. Um, and I shared with her, like, I just don't feel good. I just feel tired a lot. And like these nightmares have been crazy. And like, the tremors and my, my joints hurt. What's going on? Like I'm running out of breath really fast. And uh, she was like, maybe you should go to the doctor and get checked out. Like, is this your concussion stuff? Cause like I had multiple concussions when I played football. She's like, maybe like this is something that has to do with your concussions. And so I went to a neurologist in Chicago and this neurologist said to me it's like okay man there's two things that could be happening here and this guy was not an american doctor he was he was not like a classic american family physician he had his own private practice and i walked in there he examined me i told him everything and he's like okay so two things that could be happening number one your brain could be falling out of equilibrium or number two you could have lyme disease and when he said that, I was like, holy crap, you're right. I could have one. Like that was a big eye opener when he said that. And the reason why it was such a big eye opener is because my uncle has it. At, like at this point, like in college, like my uncle contracted it. My cousin contracted it. Other people I know had contracted it from my high school days. And so I was like, huh. That makes sense. So like it was really close to Christmas break. And I know that there's a Lyme literate physician in my hometown. And so I set up an appointment with him. I went, I shared all my symptoms. Uh, this guy's name is Dr. Stone Cipher. Dr. Stone Cipher, really helpful guy. Really helpful for all of the listeners. If you're in the Pennsylvania region, Dr. Stone Cipher knows what he's doing. I would highly recommend reaching out to him. I know he only practices on Tuesdays now. That's it, just Tuesdays. That's so going to be hard to see him. So you better get your names in quick. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I went to his place and he, like, that's when he told me everything. That's when he was like, okay, like if you test positive, I was like, wait, test. What do you mean? Like, what's the test look like? He's like, okay, we're going to send your blood to Igenix in San Diego. I was like, what? The, oh, whoa. Like, what's going on? What's this? And he's like, nothing's covered by insurance. It, it was just like one thing after the other. I was getting blown away. And then um, that day, got my blood drawn, sent it to Igenix. And it was like 10 days later, I got the call. I was back in Chicago and I had started my internship. It was like my final semester. I was working on my internship so I can graduate. 
And um, I got the call during an internship meeting. And she was like, so there's 10 screenings here. Nine of the 10 are off the charts, man. You got it bad. You got it bad. And so I was like, scared, alone, even more stressed. <laughs> I feel like, how am I going to pull this off? Like, I have a whole semester in front of me. I have to provide for myself. Um, I'm running out of breath going up the stairs. Heck, I'm running out of breath when I reach up into my cabinet to grab a cup for water. Like, I, I'm weak. I'm feeble. And so um, at that point, I just didn't really know where to turn. And I, if someone in my church that was healed from Lyme disease, actually, by prayer, I know three people that have been healed, by, healed from God that have had Lyme. And so I sat down with this person and she had shared with me like, okay, Cole, like you got a long journey ahead of you. This is what it's going to be like. She said, you got to drop gluten. You got to drop dairy. You got to drop sugar. They're going to give you some pretty intense medication and it's going to turn your body upside down. It's going to be hard. You're going to feel, it's, you're going to feel like crap. And then she was like, once you get things under control with like the medicinal route, I would highly recommend transitioning to the natural nutritional herbal route. It takes a minute to get things under control, but it's a lot nicer to your body. And in the long run, you're going to feel a lot better. And so I was like, okay, here we go. Like, I'm going to change my diet completely. Like I'm abandoning all the things that I know and love, which is just classic American food. And then I started on the doxycycline, metronidazole, probiotics, vitamin D supplements, and then after I did that for a few months, like, I mean, I dropped like 35 pounds a month. That was bad. I, I like at my lightest, I, I probably, I probably weighed like 170 and I'm, I'm six, one, six, one, 170. Like that was, I was a rail. Um, so that happened. And then a few months into the medicinal route, my uncle had mentioned to me like, okay, this is what I do. This is what's helped me get my life back. Um, it's called soda S O T a soda products. And they have an ozonated water maker. They have a magnetic pulser that helps your muscles. They have an electric pulser that cleans your blood. You don't inject anything. You strap something to your wrist that it, as your blood passes through, there's an electric pulse that shocks your, your veins and it cleans and kills like any bad bacteria. So the spirochetes and stuff like that, like they, it, that was like a line of defense there. And then the last one was colloidal silver. I had my own colloidal silver maker. So that was like my new holistic regiment. That is not approved by the FDA. So Cole, I wanna back up real quick to, <clears throat> before we get into the more natural alternative medicine, you're back at college, you're in your, your final semester of your senior year, and you're starting doxycycline and, and basically flagell, the antibiotic and the anti-protozoa medication. What was that like for you? Because you were already so sick and you were warned that your body was going to be turned upside down. Did you get sicker? Were you herxing when you first started this, this traditional Western medication? I absolutely got sicker. Yes. And you continued to stay and, and 
go to school and work and do all the things you were doing? I tried. <laughs> I attempted. I, I sat down with all my professors. I let them know this is what's going on. I'm not in good shape. This is, this is really hard. And they saw me. Like they saw like where I was in the beginning of the whole year. And then like where I was like after that four months, like from September to January, they were like, oh my, like you don't look good. Like you definitely, like there's something going on here. And then work, they were really understanding. It was really good that like they, they cared about me and they didn't fire me. They didn't cut me. And I took the shifts that I could. Uh, I worked in catering. And they gave me easier shifts too. They gave me shifts where like I didn't have to walk around as much. They gave me shifts where it was probably like less than 10 people I was serving rather than 1,600. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did some really big events in Chicago. And um, that was like a really big blessing on their part. And then um, I, I'm going to be honest though, like, more times than not, like I, I had to skip a lot of classes. I had to take naps in between. I did not go to work. I slept in a lot. I, it was it, because like nights were hard with night terrors. Um, it was, it was very scary. And because of all that, like I had lack of cash flow. I had lack of, uh, of like I had nothing in place. I didn't have any disability. I didn't have any savings. I didn't have any investments because I'm a kid. I didn't really know. And so like there, there was a point there where I was kicking myself and I was like, what? Like, I really wish I had something in place because I've seen other people that have had disability in place. And I've seen other people that have really good savings and, and smart investments. And I was like kicking myself because I was like, man, I could be a lot better positioned right now. But I am asking my parents to help pay my rent. I'm asking some like my sister to help me pay for my meds, which aren't covered by insurance. And I'm just praying, praying to God, like, okay, I need you to provide like something. And God really did come through for me. He really did. Like there were so many moments where God came through in, in like big ways with random checks in my mailbox and bags of groceries that were provided on my porch. And my bike got stolen, my only transportation. And um, a, a lady bought me a brand new bike, basically. And I, have I haven't seen that lady since. I've tried to call her every month and she hasn't answered. I truly believe that was somebody sent by God. Um, it's really cool stuff. But um, yeah, it was super hard. So we're going to get to the part of, of you learning from this experience and the financial planning aspect that can be now applied to Lyme disease. And Rich will get there with you in a little bit. But I want to focus more on your treatment protocol and what your life is like when you're in the throes of it treating Lyme disease. So talk to us about, because we normally hear that patients get treated with just doxycycline orally, usually in the beginning. That's usually the first course of action. So why do you think your doctor prescribed you with doxycycline and flagell at the same time to treat Lyme versus just doxycycline? I'm going to be honest. I have no idea. I have no idea. I just took it. I was like anything, anything that we can do. I like, I'm sure like everyone you've interviewed or any Lyme disease person you have spoken with, you have heard them say anything that we can do. Let's do it. We're all willing to try. 
because this sucks. <laughs> but yeah, sure. so I was, I had an open mind to whatever he said. I don't, I have no reason why he, or I don't understand why he prescribed the flagell, but he did. So Cole, talk to us about, did you ever doubt that you were doing the right thing because you were getting sicker while taking the medication? Did you think that possibly it was something else or did you know and you firmly believe that this was Lyme disease and you just had to get through this hell before you can bounce back? I thought I was going to live like that the rest of my life. I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I, I, and like with getting sicker, like, oh my, I, I was just like, what am I even doing? <laughs> like, we're, we're not getting anywhere with this. You know, like even, even if I have like one, one tiny bite of food that like would, like a bite of a candy bar, like a bite of like half a racy cup it would send me for like a day and a half. I would feel like garbage. Um, yeah, it, it, sorry, go ahead. Did you always firmly believe that your root cause was Lyme disease or did you ever think maybe it was something else because you weren't getting better while you were treating? I did start believing it was something else. And I, I know that like with stress, that's a really big factor. So like the stress of school, the stress of my relationship that wasn't good, the stress of my neighborhood, like because there's people overdosing and shootings and like all of that, all, like, all the time. It was very common. So your head was constantly on a swivel. Um, it was just constant stress being dumped on me constantly. And then it wasn't until after I graduated where it was like, oh, like, a, like, I got, I was like, okay, okay. My head is above water now. I don't want to, I don't have to worry about any of this stuff anymore. So Cole, you talked to us about your work life. You talked to us about your school life while you were in the thrills of it, your last semester of college. Talk to us about your personal life. You had, you had your girlfriend at the time who mm -hmm. was sort of observing you decline and recommended you go seek medical help and thankfully she did because that led to your Lyme diagnosis but how was Lyme impacting your relationship with your girlfriend at the time it was impacting it negatively obviously even though like she was she was very supportive she was very supportive um she helped me when I could she like with dietary stuff like her and her entire family they were on board with getting me everything I needed like gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free food. And like any restaurant we would go to, they would call and say like, do you have this type of menu? Do you have any of these options? Like they, they cared. Um, so it, in a way, like it was a curveball, And like on that end, like it made it difficult because like I couldn't show up in the way that I wanted to. Of course I wanted to take her out on dates and I wanted to spend money on her. Of course I wanted to spend my time with her and like, my resources, but knowing that like my, my, like Cole's personal gas tank had holes in it, I was running out of gas so quick and I needed to take a nap or I needed to go to bed. Like that I, I could, I could tell that was weighing on us. Um, but at the same time, we still made it work at that time. We still, we still tried and we were, we were good at communicating like what we needed at that time. Um, 
And so, yeah, like through that, like that was the worst of it. I would say like between January and June, like January through June of 2018 was like the worst that I went through and she was super supportive and it, it brought us together, I would say. And Cole, during this time, were you just doing the Western treatment, the antibiotics, the doxy, the flagell, the probiotics and the vitamin D, or were you overlapping this alternative treatment that you mentioned, the soda as well? I was overlapping. And then in May of 2018, I ran into a guy named Luke Odom. Luke is a nutritionist and a bodybuilder, and he has his own gym in the suburbs of Chicago. Luke is a really great guy. Um, Luke showed me CBD oil. He was like, there's somebody that I work with for personal training and she has Lyme. She's using a walker. She was using a walker. And after using the CBD, it was called Nano Enhanced Hemp Oil from PrimeMyBody.com. I'm going to say it again. Nano Enhanced Hemp Oil from PrimeMyBody.com. Okay. He was like, two pumps under your tongue in the morning, two pumps under your tongue before bed. This is going to help you a lot. He said she got her life back in like three weeks. She had she she was using a walker and then she was using the CBD and then she was back in my gym within three weeks. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. How? And then he was like, let's go. Let's try two pumps under your tongue right now. So I was like, okay. You put two pumps under my tongue within 45 seconds. My headache was gone. My joint pain was like lifting. I slept like a baby that night. And like no nightmares. And so like that was a really big turning point in my healing. Now, like these bottles aren't big. They're like 90 bucks a pop too. Like they're probably just like three ounces, but like, my goodness, did it help? And so cool. it, it did the heavy lifting for me. Talk to us about the symptoms that you were experiencing while treating and while herxing and while getting your symptoms become even worse. And then which symptoms that you were having were relieved by the CBD oil? Yeah. So the symptoms I was having was like, Oh my goodness. With, with like the regular Western approach, I was fatigued, headache, tired. I was, my body was hot. My body was constantly hot. Um, very warm. And I was, I had a lot of food passing through me. Like I, I wouldn't retain any nutrition. It seemed that's why I was so thin. Um, the doxy caused me to like, it, it just, it just destroyed anything good inside of my body. So I, I would just pass it through like pretty quickly. And, um, yeah, when, when the CBD came into play, the headache was gone. The joint pain was gone. The sleep was a lot better. The mental clarity was nice. And it, 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 also like the mental power of it, it alleviated stress because I was like, okay, this is really doing something. This is actually helping and it's natural and it's not mean to my body, like all this other stuff. So like that relieves some stress 
And that's when the momentum began building for me. So Cole, I'm just, as we're talking here, I'm, I'm looking it up. It looks like it's primemybody.com and that's the nano enhanced hemp oil. Is that correct? That's the one. Great. So many of us, you described a lot of physical symptoms, which, which are um, very common among many of our other guests as well. But many of our other guests have also experienced psychological or emotional symptoms in parallel. Did you have any, any depression, anxiety, or emotional issues alongside your physical symptoms while going through this journey? Totally. I would say the like depression for sure. I, and I know like last year was hard for everybody because it was 2020, but like that was a depression that I had never felt before last year. Um, yeah, but when it came to the, the hallucinations, oh my goodness, like that, the, the mental game that played on me was so visceral. Like, it was like the person was sitting in the room with me. It was like, I saw those things like there present and like oh I was just I didn't want to admit that I can't like I can't say that like I'm sitting in my class and I'm like guys do you see that dead person over there on the carpet like like you can't say that you know like it's like Cole you're nuts and so like that made me anxious because I was like oh when's the like when am I going to see the next thing when am I going to see the next scary like hallucination or like the, the there was some depression I would say like in the winter time specifically because of just how hopeless I felt I felt I felt pretty hopeless of my uh, just I, I felt bad like so bad and I felt worthless because I wasn't making money I wasn't providing for myself I felt like a burden and I, I just it gave me a little bit of leverage to fall into sadness and hopelessness. Um, and so I, I dwelled there, but I knew at the same time, like, like that's like when my girlfriend came into play my family and my church, they were the ones that were really uplifting me and pointing me toward like, Hey, like we can do this. Healing is possible. So Cole, would you recommend that those that are suffering from the, the emotional side effects of having Lyme disease, that they lean on their family, their friends, their faith, and use that to help them get through those hard times emotionally? Yes, with discretion. Because some of those things can be more hurtful than helpful. So like, yeah. Sometimes... I know it might be hard and I see it on social media all the time. The Lyme community is licking each other's wounds. I'll say it. I didn't really like that. What I needed was two things, either a listener or someone that would provide me solutions. On the days that I felt like crap, on the days where I had no money in my bank account because I couldn't work. Those were days where I was sad and angry. And sometimes I needed to tell Mia to listen to me 
was like, I just need a listener right now. I just want, I just want to let this out. I am so sad. I'm so angry. This is horrible. But there also needs to be people in your life where like, when you speak with them, you need to let them know I need solutions. And the solutions aren't just like, okay, like, let's pray about it. Like, yeah, prayer is huge. Prayer is extremely powerful. I believe in it. But we also need to see the rubber hit the road here. And I, I know like some of these listeners, like some of the people listening to me right now in the throes of it, you're probably saying like, F you Cole, like, you don't like, what are you talking about? Like, it was those people that gave me solutions the people I trusted. Okay. I know everyone. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm going all over the place right now. Please Cole, please keep going. This is a really important topic. So please, please keep going. Sure. sure. But like what I'm saying here is when you share with somebody that you have a chronic illness, you have Lyme, Babesia, Bartonella, whatever you have, the person you talk to automatically becomes a doctor. Well, try this or do that. This will help you maybe do that. No, shut up. Okay. You don't get it. All right. That's why I said like with discretion. Okay. Like talk to the people you trust the most, talk to the people that you love the most and you know that they're in your corner. And then before you engage in these types of conversations, make it clear, mom, dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, doctor, whoever, I need a listener right now. I need you to listen to me because I'm pissed. I'm sad. I'm angry. But Ryan Cyberson is somebody that we should speak with because he's talking about the mental management here. Ryan Cyberson, he's a great resource. Mental management is huge. So like talking through your emotions, talking through what you're feeling is going to help you alleviate stress. When you alleviate stress, there's less cortisol in your body. And when there's less cortisol in your body, that gives you more of a chance to fight. And when you have more of a chance to fight, that's when you can turn to the people you love and ask for solutions. Solutions for me were like, okay, how can I get back out there and start working out again? I didn't start working out again until two and a half years. I remember I went to the gym and I, I tried to, I tried to hit some weights and I was messed up for, for like eight days. <laughs> My body was so weak and like continuing, like that's when I reached out to my buddy Luke and I was like, Luke, I need to build my strength back. I used to be able to bench 250 pounds and now I can't even do 120. Can you help with a solution here? Can you help me build my strength back? Because like working out and at least walking or getting out in fresh air and then eating healthy, like those solutions are so good because they bring you, it, it just builds momentum. It builds momentum. And so also on the other end here with solutions, sometimes you need someone to look you in the eye and say like, dude, you need to get up off your butt. Like, like we, we have to try. We have like we, we need to win at least a, a tiny battle here. Like even if it's let's walk to the kitchen and back. Let's fill up that glass of water and let, let, like that's one battle that we won. Like building that momentum back because it was really a big momentum game for me. That's how so I Cole, it. 
when you say momentum and you referenced exercise and getting yourself moving again, I think you're arguing that even if you're bed bound, you have to start to set small goals, even if it's walking to the kitchen and getting a glass of water and building upon that to get your body moving again, which in turn will allow your body to heal and overcome this chronic illness. Is that what you're, you're arguing? That's what I'm arguing. Yeah. So I do want to bounce back because we've had this discussion with, with a variety of people this, these past few weeks regarding caretakers, friends, family members, coworkers who care about the people in the Lyme community, and they don't know how the right way to deal with us, you know, what, what that right way is, right? So you mentioned there's two things that you want from people in your life as a Lyme patient. And those two things are you're either if you're in a really bad place, you want a listener, if you're sad, if you're angry, if you're just pissed, but then you also need people who, to give you guidance to help you make the right decisions and, the, and give you the right motivation to take the right steps forward. Exactly. The argument we get from a lot of people in the Lyme community is, I don't want people telling me what to do with my life. Don't tell me what to do. And, and personally, you know, I can tell you that, you know, Rich and I have a relationship where he can give me guidance and I'm at a place where I can receive it. And some things I don't listen to, some things I do listen to, but I'm in a place where I can receive that without having it affect me. Many people in the community don't want that advice. And I feel as a, as a person with Lyme that that is a detriment to their healing journey. So what are your thoughts on that? And what advice would you give to those people in the Lyme community that can help them receive that guidance to help them get further along in their journey? So what I'm hearing you say is that you think it's a detriment for people being in their own echo chamber. Yes. Okay. I agree with that. And, and, and how do you get them out of that echo chamber to be open to receiving feedback in a healthy manner, as you said, you know, from the right people to give them good advice, to take steps that have been, you know, used by other people to help heal from Lyme and not get stuck in their own, in their own way, if that makes sense. Right. So yeah, this is like, if you, if you're going to be somebody that wants to move forward, like, obviously, obviously you don't want to be sick. You didn't ask to be sick. You didn't ask to feel like this. You didn't ask to have these nightmares. You didn't ask to have this fatigue or this joint pain or these rashes. You didn't ask for this diet. You didn't ask for these IVs. I know it sucks. I hear you and I see you. I'm saying that to all the listeners right now. I know it sucks. I hear you and I see you. Do not let everybody be your doctor. Do not let everybody be your therapist. You have the power to choose your doctors and your therapists. You have the power to choose your listeners to vent to and to be, and to just let things rip like from, from your heart of hearts and the deep inner workings of your mind, like say those things, get them out. That's good to get that out. But like those tiny battles, those tiny goals, if you don't set those tiny goals, you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to be stuck spinning your wheels in this mud. You're going to be, you're going to be stuck in this mud in this slog for a long, long time. And so like one little goal, and even it, like for me, like I said, I love working out. I love running. I love lifting. I love riding my bike. I, I was a fanatic to do all those things. I, I've been working out and I've been active my entire life. 
But when Lime took that from me, I was like, okay, I need to, like, I, I at least need to take a walk for lunch rather than like ordering it. Like I'm going to walk to the grocery store, which is three blocks away. I know it's probably going to wipe me out, but probably going to be really good for me. So Cole, those, those small goals for sure are super important to set those small goals and keep building upon that. But how did Cole, how did you get yourself in a place to be able to receive feedback or as you called it, guidance and solutions from your close friends and family members to receive that without getting turned off by them and to actually be in a healthy mindset to receive that feedback and those solutions to help you heal? Honestly, Matt, I am a very positive and optimistic guy. And I think it, it, it was pretty easy to me, for me to be like a relentless solution focus type of guy. I wasn't focused on like, oh man, <laughs> like I hate this. I was focused on like, all right, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to get better? What are we going to do? I, I, and so like that was the motivation because I had seen my buddy's mom in kindergarten and I, it, it, that honestly, it was motivated by like, I don't want to be like that. I want to be a present dad. I want to be a present son and brother and friend and boyfriend. Like I, I want these things. And so I really didn't allow myself to sit in that shit. I didn't allow myself I, I, like, Yes, it was there. And I did acknowledge it. Okay. That's why I said, like, it's good to have a listener to like vent that stuff out. But like, there wasn't really anybody that was like, Cole, wake up, let's get moving. It was not that. It was me thinking like, okay. It, it was really intrinsic motivation because I hated feeling like a burden. And I really deeply desired to be somebody worth living and loving. Now, I'm not saying, I want you to hear me here. I'm not saying you're not worth living and loving, no matter where you are. But I am saying like, I wanted to be somebody that I wanted to be. And I didn't want to let this hold me back. Cole, you are better today because of, of your mindset and the decisions you made when you were sick. So it sounds like you're arguing that because your focus was being driven wanting to get better and not staying sick rather than having the victim mentality and saying, this sucks. I'm sick. I'm never going to get better. Woe is me. That mindset allowed you to receive solution-based feedback from your, your loved ones that you trusted to help you get to where you are today. Is that, is right. that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Yep. Okay. So I do, I do, I do want to pivot back. I didn't mean to derail us for that long, but that was a very powerful part. And I think we needed to address that is the, the soda piece of it. So the, the doxy, the flagell, the, the vitamin D, the probiotics, and that's all, that's all the, the Western side of things. Then you did the soda, the ozonated water. You did the magnetic uh, pulse uh, therapy for your muscles, the electronic pulse, electronic pulse therapy for decleaning your blood. Walk us through what that was like. Is this all part of a, a soda protocol? Like what is soda? And, and really, was it meaningful in your healing journey? Yeah, so Soda is a company based out of Philly, not Philly, Canada. <laughs> I don't know why I said Philly. Um, Canada. And um, all natural. And my uncle is the one that found this. He, my uncle's a big researcher. He likes to dig in and 
like ask questions and learn and see like what different solutions are. Um, every, and like, that's not, not just Lime, that's like everything he does. That's just who he is. And he discovered the soda products. And so he started trying the soda protocol with the ozonated water. So here's how all of this works. Obviously, if you have Lyme, you've probably heard of ozone. You've, you've heard of how it, it's good for treatment, how it's good to help get our lives back and your energy levels and fighting the bacteria, et cetera. Um, so same idea here with ozonated water. You get a glass of water and you put the hose in it. For, this is the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up. And you put the hose into the water and you hit the button and it goes for five minutes. Ozonation. It ozonates the water for five minutes and it beeps and then down the hatch. All right. Don't nurse it. Don't let it sit for 10 minutes because the ozone will evaporate. You got it down the hatch immediately. That cleans your gut. Okay. There's two purposes here. It cleans your gut because the ozone is those three molecules of oxygen. It's cutting out all of the garbage in your system, in your digestive system, but also with all the oxygen that's loaded in the ozone going into your intestines, there's another oxygen supply going to your blood. Okay. So when there's more oxygen in your blood, that means there's more energy. When there's more energy, you can fight. You can get out there. You can take that walk. You can be positive. You can feel good. You know what I mean? And your body can heal. Right. So there's that. And I would do three glasses of ozonated water a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, immediately. I would do it before I would eat, before you eat. Don't do it after you eat because that'll make you, it'll make you crap <laughs> like before you eat. Um, second is if my muscles were sore, if I had joint pain, if I had muscle pain, like my neck was an area that was really tight, my neck and shoulders. And then also like my elbows was something that hurt too. Um, the magnetic pulsar runs for 30 minutes. It doesn't hurt at all. And you put it on the affected areas. You, I would sit the magnetic pulsar and it would shoot pulses periodically, like every probably like 10 seconds, it would shoot a pulse for 30 minutes. Every 10 seconds for 30 minutes, it would shoot a pulse into my muscles and it loosens my muscles up. It helps me stretch. It helps me feel better. It, 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 I don't, I don't feel like I'm in pain all the time. And then the next one is the electric pulser. So the electric pulser is you, you strap it to your wrist. Now this one hurts a little bit. It shocks you. It shocks you for like 15 minutes. You wear it for 15 minutes. I actually went past that protocol and I used to wear it all night long. I know it's not, it doesn't feel good, but like that, my uncle was like, Cole, I, I wore this all night long for a month and I felt great. Like you should, you should consider that. So I started wearing it all night long. There's these two little modules that strap into like a wrist, like a bracelet. You strap the bracelet on your, on other, your arms over, over the veins, like right here, these two veins. And then you turn on the pulser. There's like a little dial roll on one and then it shocks, but, 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 but. But, and yeah, it would clean your blood as you would go. And then the last one was the colloidal silver. You could make your own colloidal silver with that protocol. Cool. Is the colloidal silver part of the soda protocol or is that something separate? Part or of the soda company is part of the soda. Okay. 
as part of it. So I would make my own colloidal silver. You have to make it with distilled water. And what I would do is after I would do my ozone, I would take, I would like let that go through my system for like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Then I would take a shot, like a little tiny shot. I would probably say like a teaspoon, like a teaspoon of the colloidal silver once in the morning and once at night. Colloidal silver, the purpose of that is that it's boosting your immune system. It's a natural way to help boost your immune system, which helps you fight. And then obviously on top of that is your diet, maintaining your good diet. And then I would do the CBD oil, the Prime My Body CBD oil. And it came to a point where I completely abandoned the Flagyl and the Doxy. And I just went this, this route completely. And that has what, that's what I've been doing ever since. So Cole, I'm sorry to interrupt. Looking back, if you could change what you did, would you still do the doxy and the flagell, or would you have jumped right into the ozonated water, the magnetic pulser, the electric pulser, the colloidal silver, and the CBD, and just done those alternative treatments? I'm going to be honest. I think I still would have done the doxy first because that was like it took a minute for the protocol that I was doing to really kick in and, and do, do the job. Um, the doxy and the flagell that, that did some heavy lifting for me. I'll be honest. It, it really did help me in the beginning, even though like the first few weeks, it really made me feel like a garbage truck. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm glad I did it because it, I think it helped diminish things enough so that I could transition to the natural protocol. And really they complement each other, meaning the alternative treatments really not only would they fight the bacteria and the infection, but they'd strengthen your body and allow the doxy and the flagell to be even more effective by doing these alternative treatments. So it seems like it was the collective that got you to where you are today, not any component part of what you did. Right, right. So before I hand it back to Rich, I just have to ask this question because I know you've made great progress. You're pretty much in remission at this point. Give yep. us an idea of where you were at your worst and where you are today and the things you can do today that you never dreamed of doing while you were sick. Sure. So, um, oh boy, where I was when I was sick, there was this, I, I would say this one. There was a time when I was trying to go to school and I had to jump on the green line train for all the Chicago natives, the green line jumped on the green line and there's two flights of stairs to get up to the green line off the Kedzie, the Kedzie stop where I used to live. So I walked there and I went up those stairs and I was completely out of breath. I was like, <gasps> <gasps> like I, I couldn't do it. And then, um, like, like I said, like reaching up to grab a cup, like if I ever had my arms above my head for more than 10 seconds, I would lose my breath and I'd get lightheaded and dizzy. And, um, I would be awake for probably two or three hours. Then I would have to sleep four hours awake for another two or three and then sleep four. that was my life. That's what it was like. 
I was 170 pounds, so thin, so weak. And those nightmares were vivid and scary and real. And um, the hallucinations were even more scary because it was like during the day. Um, and, I, and I was like, I'm going, I'm going clinically insane. <laughs> um, so since then, I have not had any nightmares. And that's because I listened to God's word while I sleep, actually. And um, I haven't had any hallucinations since. It was probably since summer of 2019 was my summer 2019 was my last hallucination. Um, I am now 230 pounds back to that's a little more than what I want. Thanks a lot, 2020. But um, I, I'm actually losing weight again. I'm 16 pounds down. Um, Congratulations. I, I start, thank you. Yeah, I started at 247 at the beginning of 2021, and now I'm 231. Um, and I'm working on that still. I'm feeling great. I'm not running out of breath. Just a couple weeks ago, I was in Arizona and I did a five mile hike to the top of a mountain nonstop. And I did it in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> so cool. I just want to put that in perspective. You said earlier that you would get out of breath by reaching for a glass in the cabinet. And then you went and did a, a five mile um, hike, it sounds like. That's correct. To put it in comparison to where you were, to where, to where you were at your worst, to where you are now. Yep. And um, also... I get to eat a little bit more of what I want. I can cheat a little bit. So like through the weekdays, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating well because I want to treat my body well. And I want to be able to show up for my job and my, my people. I want to, I want to show up in ways that are strong and I can be alert and ready and feel good. But Friday nights and Saturdays are my cheat days. Like Friday night, man, you're going to catch me at Pizza Hut. <laughs> like, like totally Saturday. You're going to, you're going to catch me with an ice cream. That's real. Um, but yeah, the, any other times in between I'm, I'm making sure that I'm eating well. Um, yeah, I would say like, I, I've come a very long way with that, with like my energy levels, with my, my diet and my mindset, my mindset is as strong as it's ever been. So Cole, now talk to us about the beautiful part of the journey. What did you learn about yourself from the gifts that God gave to you that you didn't understand before you went on the suffering journey that you went on with Lyme disease? Oh my. What I learned about myself is that I, something like with, with the, men that I grew up with, they showed me that like emotions are negative emotion. Like don't show your emotions. Don't cry. And if you do that, you're a wuss or you're weak. Um, I beg to differ. <laughs> um, it is extremely important to take care of your mindset. And that is something that like, I never took care of because I, I, I thought that's what a man would do. A man needs to be tough. A man needs to be 
like the Clint Eastwood type of guy. Um, but that's wrong because if I didn't take care of my mindset, if I didn't take care of, like, if I didn't process, if I didn't sit with a counselor, if I didn't journal, if I didn't pray, if I didn't like work through these things, like these fears and these anxieties are going to control me. The big thing I learned is that I gave a lot of my fear authority. I gave a lot of authority to my fear. My fears were like, am I going to be, I don't think I'm going to be a dad. I don't think I'm going to be a good husband. I don't think I'm ever going to make money. I'm going to have to go to a nursing home. My parents are going to have to take care of me and they're going to be financially ruined. I'm going to be a burden. I gave so much authority to those fears in the beginning that I was terrified. I was so sad and so hopeless. And when I realized like, no, these fears aren't quite reality. And there, I, and I, I do have control here. Lime, Lime, you don't own me. You do not own me. You don't have me. The big thing I learned about myself is the authority that I have over myself. The authority that God has given me in the name of Jesus Christ to declare healing and declare peace over my mind and my heart. Like Jesus came and, and died for us so that we could experience this peace, experience a life worth living. And that's why my hope is in him and it's never going to falter. So like pr making sure like you are processing, like that was a big growth thing. It's like, no, this fear doesn't own me. And I can, I can beat this. So now that you've learned about yourself, how are you now taking these gifts and the creativity that God has given you to now give back to the community that needs your help? So, yeah, uh, the gifts here, I am trying to help anywhere that I can. Um, obviously, like, I, I'm here as a listener, okay? I'm here as a listener. I'm also here as an encourager. You just need to tell me what you want, okay? Any of you people listening right now, like, I am here as a listener and an encourager. Just tell me what you need, and I will be that, okay? Um. So that, that's one way that I'm engaging with this community. A second way that I'm engaging in this community is if, if you think back to the time where I was saying like, man, I was kicking myself and I wish I had something in place. This is a really big emphasis on what I do now. So I, I work in financial planning and I have decided to dedicate my life to becoming an expert on this in this field. So. I help, I help everybody. I help anyone that I can, but I really like to help the Lyme community because I'm here to create peace of mind and freedom. Because when you have peace of mind and when you have freedom, you have no stress. And when there's no stress, there's no cortisol in your body. And when there's no cortisol in, the, in your body, you have energy 
you have the ability to fight. And so I'm somebody that helps people wake up well positioned financially, whether that is setting up your risk management well, so that like risk management is like protecting all of your assets and protecting you so that if life goes sideways, like you're going to be okay. You're not going to have to break a sweat. Talking your wealth management so that we can make sure that your money is doing more work rather than you doing work. You, you, sorry, your money is doing more work than you working more for money. Okay. So like compound interest is doing the heavy lifting for you. So wealth management, making sure that we're doing that well. And then tax sheltering strategy. Uncle Sam likes to tax us a ton. He likes to get in our, in our pockets a lot. And also like with the insurance type of stuff that we're dealing with and the medical field and like all of that, like I'm here to help my clients navigate the, these tumultuous waters all like they're already tumultuous, but when you're sick, when you throw in a chronic illness on top of that, it's extra hard. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm here for is to make sure that we can, we can bring our clients to a place where they have peace of mind and freedom and that they can wake up well positioned. So Cole, how did your Lyme disease journey help you to pivot from a life of, of service and ministry to a life of, I guess, financial ministry? Sure. So I've always, numbers have always worked in my head. You know, my dad does construction. My grandfather was a banker. My cousin is a mathematician. My other cousin is an accountant. It's just in our brains, in our family. You know, just numbers just work. And um, ministry was always like what was in front of me, but it wasn't until senior year of college, actually, um, because I was so sick. My mom mentioned to me, like, you know, it, it might be a good idea to go get a life insurance policy on you. And I like that was like a sad moment for me. I was like, well, geez, like, I, I, you're right. I could probably die. Hmm. That, yep, we're, we should get something. And so we went to a state farm agent. And um, after we signed everything, he asked my mom to leave the room. And he was like, hey, I want you to quit school and work for me. I was like, what? What do you mean? He's like, Cole, I think you have what it takes to work in this industry, in the financial industry. I think you really, you have what it takes. You have the ability to communicate well. You have the ability to engage. You have the ability to inspire. You're really coachable. Like, come on. Like, this guy knows me pretty personally. And he was like, quit school and work for me. Seriously, you're going to be successful here. I was like, come on. I've like... I'm like one year left. Like, we're not going to do that. And so after I graduated, I decided to step into the financial industry and I've been here ever since. And I, I know that this is where I'm going to, going to stay. So call me now ask you the last uh, question we ask all of our guests on uh, the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And that is, if God forbid your mom came walking into your room today after you finished this podcast and she had a tick biting her on her arm, what would you recommend that she do so she wouldn't get sick and have to go on a terrible chronic Lyme disease journey? 
Well, this actually happened to me last week, Rich. Um, over 4th of July, my brother-in-law and my father walked into the room with ticks on them. I brought them over to me and I was like, okay, first of all, we need to, we need to get this tick out of you correctly. We're not going to squeeze the crap out of them and make him vomit everything inside of you. That's bad. Like we want to make sure this is taken off correctly. We did with the right tweezers, the, the tiny tweezers with the, like the pinpoints um, so that you don't squeeze the body, you squeeze the head and you get that head out slowly. And then um, after that, we immediately went to the Med Express and we got them that speed pack, the 10, 10 pill speed pack with the Doxy. And they're on that as we speak. Um, the next step here is getting tested with hygienics. Um, so yeah, we're, we got to wait for Dr. Stonecipher to open up on Tuesday and we can run over and grab a couple of boxes that he has ready to roll for hygienics. And we're going to get our blood drawn and we're going to send that over so that we know for sure. We should have saved the ticks. We didn't save the ticks, but we should have saved it so that we could send the tick to hygienics too so that they could test everything inside so that we know exactly what is happening. So if we know exactly what's happening, we have a better chance at tackling this. And then on top of that, making sure that we're staying on top of our diet and mindset. Diet and mindset is so important. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Cole Elbel. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Cole, please visit his Instagram page at Cole underscore Elbel. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to visit the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get you automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.